Wow, these are some powerful introductions. Powerful introductions, indeed. Well, it's been a pleasure. It really has been to share with you these few days and uh, to begin the semester. We have been leading up to this. So I'm encouraging you, friends, uh, if you have to go, uh, do so. But if you don't, stick around. I'll try to be done in a reasonable time. But I think we have been leading up to this. I have stuffed your heads full, right? Um, the old adage, know your stuff and stuff them well, is an old preaching terminology. But I'm not interested only in what happens in between your ears. I want to see what God does in your heart. But also I want to see what God does through your hands. This is not just a cognitive exercise. This is also a very spiritual and practical one as well. Well, having said that, um, you know, it's my honor to serve this university as the graduate and creative education director. In those capacities, please come talk with me. I'm also a theologian. In that capacity, please come talk with me. And I think I'm a pretty nice guy. And in that capacity, come talk to me. I'm not just here to serve an administrative function. The Lord has sent my wife and me here to be a part of this community. Because we're looking forward to seeing what God is going to do in the next phase of North Central University's life. Having said that, then, let's jump into my topic today. Holy fire. The work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer, we're hitting one other special issue, and I call it the, well, not the ultimate hitchhiker's guide, but a seeker's guide to baptism in the Holy Spirit. Those of you who know that very quirky uh, series of novels written by Doug um, Adams, you know that there's a strange thing called the babble fish. Anyone knows what I'm talking about? You put it in the ear, and they're able to translate. It's like the universal translator for you Star Trek fans, Right? So I thought it was kind of appropriate and kind of quirky to, to kind of label it this way. A seeker's guide to baptism in the Holy Spirit. I've been telling you all along that this is possible, that this is available. Today I want to get practical and deal with some of the hindrances and some of the uh, things that stop us from truly and fully encountering God in this way. But I want to begin with a picture uh, those of you who are suffering with me through God and the gospel, you've seen this picture before. This is perhaps at a base level, this is what we believe God's action in the world looks like. That God is some remote policeman or military-like figure in the back, kind of tugging us along and dragging us along while we try to do our own thing, right? There's some theologies that are built on this. I don't think they're compatible with Pentecostal spirituality, though. Let me suggest that this is the better approach of God's action in the world. That God, in creating the world, eternally yokes himself with us so that we become junior partners with him. So the leash actually goes both ways. This is why prayer matters. This is why what we want 
matters to God because we are yoked together with him. I remember the old days, Pentecostal preachers would say when they're praying and interceding, we're going to storm the gates of heaven. You remember that? I often wonder if the angels aren't laughing. Because, yeah, you're storming the gate here, but just go a couple of steps down, the door is open. It's open for you. You don't have to storm the gates of heaven. God is for us. And if God be for us, who can be against us? If God did not spare his only son, but freely gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? In fact, the scripture says that he's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness, including this experience that we are calling this baptism in the Holy Spirit. We're not fighting God for this. God is more willing to give than we are willing to receive. Luke 11, 9 to 13 says, So I say to you, this is the words of Jesus, Ask, and it will be given. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers... If your son asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake instead. That's pretty mean. <laughs> or if he asks for an egg, you give him a scorpion. Yikes. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, and here's the key part, how much more? Come on, turn to somebody and say how much more. that powerful? How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Remember, in the language of Luke, gift of spirit means the subsequent encounter that we call baptism in the Holy Spirit. For those of you who are doing exegesis, this is what is called an a fortiori kind of argument or calwa homer um, kind of argument, lesser to greater. I wouldn't delay with that language, but let's move on. So defining baptism in the Holy Spirit, you've seen this definition before. Subsequent to salvation, builds upon salvation, continues, intensifies the work of the Spirit, begun at salvation, leads the believer into an ex a deeper experience of God, equips the believer for effective service. But I want to add one more, uh, another slide here to talk about what baptism in the Holy Spirit is not. It's very crucial because this gets people confused all the time. Baptism in the Holy Spirit is not an authentication of all of my spiritual life. Oh, I got baptized in the Holy Spirit. That means that all of my spiritual life, all of my life, in fact, is perfectly pleasing to God. I have arrived. Hallelujah. Bless God. Now I have my badge of honor, and I can walk into a church saying, yeah, I've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. No. It's not authentication. Neither is it a badge of honor. Baptism in the Holy Spirit is not an end in itself. We have to continue to be filled over and over again. Why? Because we're leaky vessels. Here's the other thing that's dangerous, though. We sometimes believe that baptism in the Holy Spirit makes us super Christians. Dun, da, da, da. Right? And we walk around with arrogance and pride. But look at Peter. Remember Peter? 
Spirit-filled Peter? Some would still say that at his heart, he was still a racist. And God had to deal with him. In fact, Paul had to deal with him too. And the whole community. Here's another thing that's really dangerous too. Believing that baptism of the Holy Spirit makes temptation less potent. <laughs> you know the truth? You get baptized in the Holy Spirit, it seems as though the floodgates of hell open wide for you. Because the plan is to invalidate your experience. So people think, oh, I must have done something wrong. No, you've done something right. What happened to Jesus after he was baptized or he was led and driven by the Spirit into the wilderness? In fact, what was he driven to do? To be tempted. So don't become arrogant thinking you can take stupid chances because I'm impervious. You're not impervious. That's the reality check. All right? We're not talking about super magic here, you know, Superman and, you know, none of that, none of that stuff. Yet, baptism in the Holy Spirit is this gift of power upon this sanctified life. It is that thing that energizes you, empowers you to be a powerful witness for God. So having said all that, um, let's jump into some of the practical problems and issues that we tend to face when we talk about this thing called baptism in the Spirit. I think the number one hindrance to many people for this experience is unbelief. But it shows up in a couple of different ways. The first way is, well, I'm not worthy of this. There's no way. Uh, some of my Catholic brothers and sisters, this is an issue that they face. No, I'm not worthy of this. Kind of this is for the saints. This is for the holy people. I can't believe that God would want to do this in me. But then I found it also in a, in a different way in, among Pentecostals who would say, well, I don't need this, really. I'm not going to be a pastor. Look, if you leave North Central University thinking, I'm going to be nice. <laughs> but if you leave North Central University thinking that the only people who are ministers are those who mount a pulpit on a Sunday morning. I am going to come, and I'm going to haunt you. That's my promise. This sacred, sacred secular divide that we have adopted is nonsense. It's not biblical. The gifts of the Spirit are every bit as valid in the church as well as, in fact, I would suggest that most of the time when you see these manifestations of the Spirit in the book of Acts, it's not taking place inside the church. And if it starts inside the church, it spills out into the marketplace. All right. I'm moving on. I'm back off, buddy. Back off, buddy. I got to get through this stuff. You're going to get me in trouble. I want to finish. Contrary to that opinion, the Bible teaches that baptism of the Holy Spirit is for all. Joel 2.28, which was quoted by our sister when she prayed that the Spirit... God said in the last days, he'll pour his spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, old and young, male and female. They all get a part of this, all flesh. And Peter in Acts 2.38 says, when the spirit does come, this is that which is spoken by the prophet.
We don't need to not believe this. This gift is available for all. The other big hindrance is sin. Yeah. You know, it was not without reason that the early, earliest Pentecostals would say that this baptism is a gift of power upon a sanctified life. In fact, in some traditions, you still hear people say, I'm saved, I'm sanctified, and I'm Holy Ghost filled, right? We in the Assemblies of God kind of drop the sanctified language, although I think we should never have. But it's for this reason, because your sins have to be dealt with. In order to be a vessel worthy to bear this gift of God, you must be clean. The good news is that you don't have to do it yourself. The answer Peter gives in Acts 2.38, simply repent <laughs> and accept Jesus' forgiveness and move on. Don't stay there. Again, this is a quick overview. Lots of details. When we do this class, in fact, I'm scheduled to teach Pentecostal distinctives in the fall, we're going to dig into the details, right? So come prepared to do some spade work, as my old mentor, Benny Iker, used to say, spade work. A third problem is inadequate preparation. And I think this, is, this affects many, many people. We don't have, a, in many of our church contexts, a reinforcing kind of a culture to help people, to prepare people for this experience. In fact, the reason why I came up with some of the stuff you'll hear today is because I discovered that Pentecostals didn't know what to do when it comes to leading a person into baptism in the Holy Spirit. You say, well, um, I don't know. You don't know. You say you're Pentecostal, you ought to know. So there's a need for preparation in most cases. But the really important thing is to recognize that baptism in the Holy Spirit is never understood outside the context of this vital and growing relationship with the Holy Spirit that begins when? You know, we say that, right? But I might qualify that. Because the Holy Spirit has been at work from creation. A fifth problem. Actually, four, right? I'm not counting, right? A fourth problem, performance anxiety. Oh, man, you know, you've been there. The youth camps, they hype you up. They get you pumped. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right? You know what I'm talking about. What if you're an introvert and that makes you really uncomfortable and scared? What do you do? In some of the worst iterations of this, you are made to feel that something is wrong with you because you didn't get baptized in the Holy Spirit. And in even worse iterations, you're an insult to the leading pastor because, look, everyone else gets baptized in the Holy Spirit, and now the pastor puts the blame on you and the guilt on you because somehow you didn't get baptized in the Holy Spirit. So there's this enormous anxiety and stress. Look, I kid you not, I had a woman come to the altar to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. 
And she came and she was like, she was, I mean, I almost heard her teeth chattering. That's how bad it was. And I said to her, why are you afraid? There's no need to be afraid. There's no need for fear. And I said, you know what? I'm, I can't pray for you now. This is not the right moment. I'm going to call you on the phone later. And I called her on the phone later. I said, you know, you don't need to worry. The same Jesus who saved you is the same Jesus who wants to baptize you. Don't make it so pressure-filled. And as quietly and as simply as I'm speaking now, I prayed that prayer. And she got baptized in the Holy Spirit. Whoa, who knew? I don't need smoke. I don't need strobe lights. I don't need the band playing like at like 90 decibels or more. I don't need all that stuff. I mean, I don't have to feel as though I am the star of the show. No. While we have our part in, in experiencing baptism in the Holy Spirit, we should never allow ourselves to feel pressured to perform. You hear me? And I'll talk about that a little later on. A fifth thing, fear. And specifically the fear that this thing is going to make me do some freaky stuff. Now you, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Look. I grew up in a black, holiness, Pentecostal church. The truth is, the things you call freaky ain't that freaky at all. I seen some stuff. So I don't think you have to be worried or afraid that you're going to do anything freaky. On the other hand, how many of you saw the Super Bowl recently? Did you see people do freaky stuff? This is the thing that drives me insane. You have these Christians who come to church on a Sunday morning. Oh, I love Jesus. He's so good to me. They barely can raise their hands. I'm not that kind of a person, you know. I'm, and you see them on a Friday night watching their son play a football. All of a sudden, the shirt is off and it's waving. And it, And they don't care who watches them. How stupid is that? For something that is temporary, we're going to make fools of ourselves, but for something that can be eternal and is eternal, we're not willing to suffer the slightest indignity. Let me say this. Until the social cost for being a Pentecostal, becomes a real part of what it means to be a true disciple of Christ, we're always going to be giving credit and giving preference to our social status. Lose your mind every now and again, but for good reason. But notice, even Paul himself says that the spirit of the prophets Subject to the prophets. This should help us, though, 
Here's another illustration. We have electricity flowing through this building, at least not the building, through the wires in the building, right? If I were to insert the plug into an outlet, right, for a fan, what happens with a fan? Motion, spins. If it were a light, what would happen? Light comes on. If it were a radio, what happens? Sound. It is the same power with different effect. Same power, different effect. So what's the difference? The difference is the makeup of that thing. What I want to suggest to you is that we have to be very careful not to apply social pressure to people because people are different. You have introverts, you have extroverts, you have performing extroverts, you have performing introverts, you have all these shades of kinds of people. Right? You've got people who are like me. I have not worshipped, as I've told you before, until my socks are wet. I, <laughs> I got a witness over here. You're going to make me preach this morning. <laughs> On the other hand, I have some friends of mine. And you see, we can judge one another wrongfully. Oh, she is overly emotional. Oh, he is not emotional enough. Does that mean that you are the perfect level of emotionalism? That makes you the standard, right? Who, made you, who, who died and made you God? <laughs> See, I've lived cross-culturally, and I understand the judgments that we make against one another. And when it comes to something like the like the work of the Spirit, we are so quick to judge and say, well, that can't be of God. God is not a God of confusion. God is a God of order. Who gets to define what order is? Which culture says that we have the order that God demands? Let me suggest to you that no culture does that. And we have got to be very careful because we are squelching and hurting people Young people, they come to the altars and they're, they're emotionally jumping, they're running, and they don't know. I, I, they, they're like the fan. You plug them in and whoo! And you look at the external and you judge them. And you hurt what God is trying to do in their lives. Sorry, I get emotional. I've just seen this happen too many times. Let them do freaky stuff. I want them to do freaky stuff for God. Because that tells me something. They're willing to lay down their pride. On the other hand, you may not be that person. In fact, I had another young woman come to me one time, uh, wanting to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. It was at a, a, uh, a retreat. And she was crazy. She was like all over the place. Hey, 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 you. I actually said this. Calm down. It doesn't call for all that. Because it came from the wrong place. She felt that she could manufacture this. It's not, you're not manufacturing this. So what did I do? I calmed her down, took her away from the church environment, and prayed for her again, really, really quietly. You know, Jesus loves you, and he wants to baptize in the Spirit. And a very simple prayer 
she received the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Emotions are no indicator of the work of the Spirit. Lack of emotion is no indication of the work of the Spirit. Let's judge things, let's judge spiritual things spiritually and not culturally. Enough said. Moving on. Another, this is the sixth, focusing on the gift and not the giver. Ooh, yeah. <sighs> Whenever someone comes to me and says, brother, I want the gift of tongues, I say, oh boy. Another one of those, you're probably another six months away from baptism in the spirit. No, I, that's what I think. I'm not. You're, you're, your focus is in the wrong place. Baptism in the Holy Spirit is an outflow and works in conjunction with this life that's devoted to God. We seek this dynamic, life-transforming and continuing relationship with the baptizer and not simply the effect of the baptism. Don't make the mistake. For time's sake, I'm going to have to move on here. Seventh reason bad experiences with those who received baptism in the Holy Spirit. Boy, that's a big one. Well, I don't care about this thing because you guys are no different. You speak in tongues and then you go and use your tongues otherwise outside the youth group. Well, it got quiet. Yikes. But here again, the focus is in the wrong place. The baptism in the Holy Spirit does not make us superhuman, as I've said before. We all still struggle with these issues. In fact, Paul, with his thorn in the flesh, no one can claim that he was not baptized in the Holy Spirit, yet he suffered and had to endure difficulty. And you know what? He had a bad temper. He told the Judaizers once, I wish you would go all the way. And you know, the NIV says, emasculate himself. I love that word. That's not what he was really. He, snip. He had a bad temper. He said some bad stuff. Ooh. Criticizing Paul? <gasps> you can't do that in the pulpit. Yeah, of course I can. He's not Jesus. <laughs> I was going to say something cheeky to some of my friends, but I won't. All right. Let's just move on quickly. I'm going to wrap it up pretty quickly here. There's some misconceptions then. In addition to these hindrances, there are misconceptions. And I may not get to all of them. Uh, it's okay. I want to give time to, to pray. And uh, The first one is tongues equals baptism in the Holy Spirit. Of course, a common problem. We've talked about this in detail. Where there's rain, there are usually clouds. But we know that clouds are not rain. And rain is not clouds, right? Just makes sense. Second misconception, if oh, yes, it's a big one. If God wants me to speak, he's going to have to open my mouth. I've heard that. Um, the truth is, like everything else in the Christian life, faith, there must be faith and then corresponding action, right? God didn't force you to walk into church after you gave your life to Christ. He didn't grab you by the scruff of your neck or hold you by a leash and dragged you to get baptized in water, did he? What did you do? You believed and then did what? You acted. 
Why should we think it would be any different now? In the same way, God moves by his spirit and we respond. Baptism in the Holy Spirit is not a passive experience. I wish I had time. Another misconception. <laughs> this is a really big one. I need to understand it before I experience it. Wait then. Keep waiting. Mm -hmm. If you wait to prove everything before you experience it, you're in a world of hurt. Again, I feel for my students in God and Gospel, but I asked one student, um, does your mother love you? He said, yes. Well, how do you know? She bakes cookies for me. Well, suppose she bakes cookies for somebody else. Does it mean she loves them? You can't know what's inside the heart of a person, can you? But what do you do? There comes a point where you trust. Oh, this is the springtime where thoughts turn towards rings and love. But listen, if you waited to be 100% sure that that boyfriend or girlfriend was the one, I guarantee you, you'd never get married. And if you did get married, think you knew them. <laughs> You're in for a world of hurt, my friend. Surprise! Either one or both of you were lying. Faith, right? There's mystery and uncertainty, and it requires faith. In the same way, you don't have to be a theology expert to experience baptism in the Holy Spirit. In fact, I would suggest that baptism in the Holy Spirit, while there's a rational basis for it, it is supra-rational. It is beyond rational. That is, there are aspects of this experience that will defy complete and detailed explanation. So, you scientific folk, deal with it. Another misconception, we talked about this before, that baptism of the Holy Spirit endorses my spirituality, so I'm not going to spend the time there. Uh, this one is common. A spiritual giant needs to pray for me in order to be, for me to be baptized. Again, that's nonsense. We, we know from the history of, uh, of doing this over the, the centuries, really, and in our case, over the, in the sense of God, over the last hundred or so years, that little granny that comes up behind you and puts her hand on your shoulder, whoo, something happens. She's, she's nobody. No one remembers her. No one writes the books about her, but her life and ministry are powerful anyway. And this last one, for us rationalists, um, it's really important, too. You cannot trust experience. <laughs> you can't trust. I can't tell you, even in Pentecostal churches, the preacher would stand up and say, you can't trust experience. You've got to trust the word of God. Okay. And then they have an altar call and say, well, come and experience God. And nobody laughs. That's contradictory. But the truth is, we don't have to have this either-or belief, Right? And even more than that, no one is suggesting that you trust experience. We are called to serve and love and trust the one who 
gently leads us into this experience. Right? That's the key. It's not about us. So I'm going to wrap up really quickly here um, with some practical insights of how to experience. The worship team, you can come so you can be ready. This is really important. Please know that you are not a second-class citizen without spirit baptism. You're not a second-class Christian. Sometimes we teach it that way, but that's not true. We're all part of this continuum, which begins with the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts, driving us to Christ. But that journey is a journey that we are all on. I am no better than you. You are no better than me. We've got to stop the stupid triumphalism and Pentecostalism. That sets us up as though we are better than everybody else. Stop it, please. Do not, preachers, do not reproduce this. This is another way. You, I'm going to haunt you. I'm going to show, oh yeah. I'm going to haunt you because this is a big problem that we have. Second, remember that this is a gift that is expected to be received by faith. So expect uncertainty. And as they're doing right now, they're cultivating a spiritual atmosphere. It could be music, piano music playing. Your spiritual atmosphere could be, you know, kind of heavy metal or jazz. Or your, your, your cultivating experience could be by a beach. But cultivate a spiritual atmosphere by praying and worshiping. Relax. Don't go blank. Then respond. Respond as the Spirit prompts you. Now, this is uncomfortable for some people because they don't know. That's okay. Don't rush it. And then, even more difficult, speak as the Holy Spirit prompts you. As I told you, the first time I spoke, I said, what was that? Didn't understand it. That's okay. We have all kinds of stories of people who go into places and and speak and don't understand, but the other people understand. But then the last point is this, as we get ready to stand. Be patient and trust the Lord for his timing. Don't give in to pressure, not from me or from anyone. Because you know what? When the real st- starts to happen, and you've been faking it all along, you're going to start to doubt. Let's all stand together. I'm going to ask those of you who want this, and it's not just for people who want, who want to be baptized, who have never been baptized before. This is for all of us. We are all leaky vessels, and you want a renewing of God's spiritual power in your heart, in your life. I'm going to ask you to just come. Hallelujah. 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 Come on. There are more of you. And as you come, just lift your hands. You're not passive. Lift your hands and worship the Lord. Someone has a word for the community. What is that word? 
You have a prophetic utterance for the community. What is that word? Are you going to be chicken? Let's obey the word. Let's join. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Faculty and staff, um, would you please join me at the altar as we pray for the students who have come? Amen.